Good morning again. And our scripture today is Psalm 139, 1 through 6. And now that you guys are all nice and comfortable in your seats, I'm going to ask you to stand back up. We've kind of done this a few times in the past, but just as an act of worship to stand while we read God's word. So if you would join me in Psalm 139, 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. If you would join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a a wow God. We study all your different attributes. After each one, that's all we we can say is wow. You are awesome and incredible God. May we never lose that sense of wonder and awe. Um, as we learn today about how you know all things, may that be continually on our mind as we walk through life. May it be a, a warning to us if we're tempted to do things we shouldn't. We may be able to hide it from people, but we can never hide it from you, Lord. And on the flip side, uh, may it be a great comfort to us when we are going through hard times, through life struggles, and we don't know the way out but we can be confident that you do, and you know how it's going to work out. And may we always cling to you in all these times, but especially in those hard times, Lord. Bless the rest of our service, and may it be an honor to you. In your holy name, amen. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning, IBC family. Hmm. I think we can do better than that. Good morning, IBC family. It's not nighttime yet. (laughs) Nap time's coming, but not yet. At least, please, not yet. Um, You know. I don't know how many, I, I've kind of mentioned this a long time before, but I know there are new, newer people to our church now, but uh, when I was kind of recalling one time uh, going into my seminary season, uh, when, I, when I began seminary, if you don't know what seminary is, seminary is where you go, you get your Masters of Divinity, it's where oftentimes people go to get uh, a degree in theology or to become a pastor, whatever it may be, but when I started seminary, I went into the program thinking that this was going to be somewhat easy for me. Uh, Yeah, I know, I'm laughing about it now, but I thought it was going to be kind of easy for me because after all, I I was raised in the church since I was a a wee little kid, and so it wasn't like faith was new to me. I grew up in Bible studies. I grew up leading Bible studies. I was on staff with a college ministry. Um, again, I, I, I went in there going like, yeah, this has been my life from literally day one or as, the, as early as I can remember it. So I'm walking in the seminary going, this should be fairly straightforward. But it wasn't. Um, it didn't take long for me to realize uh, how little I actually knew 
about God, how little I knew God himself in a personal way, how little I understood uh, in regard to various theological issues, uh, how ignorant I was of church history. In fact, professors and other higher level students were, they were using language that I was like, where's my theological dictionary a second? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I grew up in the church. It should have been straightforward for me. And I'm like, I am not in Kansas anymore. I, uh, I was a little bit wet behind the ears. And needless to say, seminary for me turned out to be both a very humbling, but also a significant season of theological and spiritual growth in my life. And you know, as I reflect on my seminary experience, especially my perspective of it going in, it kind of reminds me of how oftentimes, and I'm not calling out you young people or throwing you into the bus right now, but sometimes the younger we are, there's some young people over here, right? The younger we are, we actually think we know more than we really do, right? At least especially more than our parents, right? You know, uh, Oftentimes what happens is, as young people, we kind of grew up in the world, we begin to start spreading our wings, and we start thinking, like, we're kind of a big deal, and my, the sooner my parents get around this idea of how much we really know, everything will be just fine in the household. But usually, as young people start growing up and having a little more life experience, right? Maybe they move out of the house, they actually start paying their own bills, um, even their cell phone bill. Uh, They get married, maybe even they even start having kids, and then they soon begin to realize, hopefully, they soon begin to realize that their parents actually knew more than they originally gave them credit for. I often joked that the older I got, the smarter my parents got. The older I got, the smarter my parents got. Not because my parents actually became smarter, though I think they've always been in a state of growth and learning, but the fact is, the older I got, the more I realized how ignorant I was in life and how much more aware they were of practical matters that pertain to life. Therefore, I think one of the, the marks of maturity when we transition from is when we transition from the belief of i know it all to the more humble realization that we don't really know as much as we think we do and it, and whatever we do think we know we only know in part after all right when we are born guess how much we know when we're born zero nothing nada Nothing. We know nothing. All we have this is this instinctive response is to, to nurse and, and to, to basically like try to stay alive, but we are fully dependent upon mommy and daddy to do everything for us. Sometimes even in our 30s it feels that way to the parents. But regardless of, of the adult adolescence that we have going on in our culture, the fact is when we are born, we know nothing and our whole life we are in this constant state of learning, of growing, of, of, of a life experience. Again, this whole idea or concept of called hindsight knowledge, right? We learn through our failures. We learn through our mistakes. We can all, as we get older, say, knowing what I know now, Here's how I would have maybe done it differently or said it differently. Again, we learn in real time and we look back on, yep, that was probably not the right way and this is maybe the the best way moving forward. 
But here's the deal. While we as human beings are continually learning over our lifetime, the Bible teaches us that God already knows everything there is to know about everything. So when we're young, we think we know everything about everything. But the Bible teaches us that God is the only being, the divine being that knows literally everything there is to know about everything. In other words, God doesn't grow in knowledge. He is the essence of knowledge. God doesn't grow in wisdom. He is wisdom. And theologians have labeled this attribute or characteristic about God called omniscience. Yes, another omni word. Remember, I got kind of confused last week. A lot of omni words. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's omnipresence, meaning that God is fully present in all places at all times. Last week, we learned that God is omni, omnipotent or omnipotence, that he's all-powerful, that he's not limited by anything, as we, that scripture clearly teaches us that, that nothing is impossible for God. I wonder if our prayer life is informed with this belief in mind, that nothing is impossible with God. Well, this morning we scratched the surface on God's omniscience or all-knowingness, that God literally knows everything there is to know about everything. But as we've been kind of pursuing in this topical study that we've been in for some time now, don't take my word for it. Let's see what Scripture says about God. Let's see what God says about himself through his divine and holy Scriptures. In Psalm 147, David says this, Great is the Lord and abundant in power, and his understanding is beyond measure. Now, when you think about this for a second, when you kind of camp out on those phrases, the fact that his understanding or, and knowledge is beyond measure means that it is infinite. Because anything that can be measured, therefore, by definition, has a limit to it. If it can be measured, it is limited. And then the scripture teaches us that God's understanding and knowledge cannot be measured. There is no limit to it. Therefore, as the Bible clearly states, his understanding is beyond measure. It is infinite. God is infinite in knowledge. He knows everything about everything. Now, all of us in here, maybe in some ways, we all might know a person or two that thinks they know it all, right? You know, people that seem to have an answer for everything, they speak as though they're the expert on any given topic, right? Perhaps, dare I say, describes maybe some of us in the room, I don't know. Not, it's other people, I understand. But the fact is, the Bible is very clear that there is only one who truly knows it all. And that one is God. The God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. In fact, Paul poses two rhetorical questions in Psalm, or excuse me, in Romans chapter 11 when he asks these questions. He says, who can know the Lord's thoughts? And who knows enough to give him advice? Again, they're rhetorical questions, so the answer is supposed to be obvious. In other words, well, nobody can. 
There isn't anyone who can give God advice. God doesn't need any counsel or recommendations from his people. He already knows everything. And as we learned a few weeks back, his wisdom, which is applied knowledge, is perfect. When something is perfect, it needs no addition or compliment. You know, my kids, by the way, if you don't understand this already by now, I have six illustrations running around my house every single day. And I'm trying not to, you know, I know I learned in seminary that I'm not always supposed to refer to family, but it's difficult not to. Lately, the, the triplets have been, uh, they've decided that they are expert drivers, meaning they love to give me counsel while I'm driving. And so when I pull up to a light and stop, because guess what? It's red. They're like, dad, go. Dad, go. And I had to have this calm explanation. I can't go right now because it's red and, and remember, green means we can go. Oh, yeah. But if the moment the car stops, it's like, Dad, go. Or, Dad, speed up. Why are you driving so slow? This is the triplets talking to me. I tell you what, you know what? And so we have these long explanations going, hey, if, if I were to go when you thought I should go, if I were to drive faster because you think I should drive faster, it would only result in an accident. Point being, the triplets and their awareness of driving and driving etiquette as well as driving rules or rules of the road, they they are not aware. They don't know actually what's going on, and they don't know the best decisions to make in any given circumstance. And here's where I'm going with this. How true this scenario is as you and I relate to our Heavenly Father. You know, how often can you and I, being honest, being genuine, but much like the triplets, God, go. God, drive faster. That we may not say those things. We might say something more like, God, why don't you do this? God, why don't you do that? God, if you would do it like this, it would be so much better. And yet we listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 11. Who are you? Who are we to offer God advice as if he needed our ignorant, nearsighted counsel? You see, this was the question that God asked Job after 38 chapters of Job asking God many questions. I'm not sure when's the last time you read the, the book of Job in the scriptures, but for 38 chapters, Job has some questions for God. Again, if you know the story, the first chapter tells everything, and then it's just another 37 chapters of like, I got questions, I'm confused, I don't know what's going on. And, the, and, and Job is also inundated with really bad counsel from his wife, from his, friend, his best friends, and others around him. And so everything's directed to God, and God finally responds, in chapter 38 or after 38 chapters and God finally in his amazing patience God just kind of takes it lets him speak it out and then he responds and by the way God when he responds he doesn't even answer any of Job's questions that's got to be frustrating it's like I have all these questions and God's like actually there are questions of higher or greater importance that you need to be aware of right now And so God responds to Job and gives him, uh, and, and basically reminds him, this is who I am. 
This is what I have done. Look at my glory. Look at all that I have accomplished. And at the end of God, in a sense, responding to Job's questions for 38 chapters, this is Job's response in Job chapter 42. I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. Remember God's omnipotence from last week. You asked, who is, that, who is this that asks questions or questions my wisdom with such ignorance? And you can imagine Job right here going, it is I? And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You see, the point, brothers and sisters, is this. God possesses an infinite knowledge of everything in our world and in creation and in all the universe. He has no need to learn. He has no need to go to school. He has no need to to study. He has no need to to read a newspaper or to to, uh, browse his social media feed to find out what's going on. He doesn't have need for any of those things because God knows everything. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is aware of literally everything there is to be aware of on the face of the earth. It is impossible, by the way, to fathom what I'm speaking of here, because all we know is limitations. We are constantly bound by our own cognitive and physical and emotional limitations in life, but God is not bound by any of those things that we are limited by. The question, however, I think for us this morning that I want to address is, are what are the practical implications that God knows everything? In other words, what does that mean for our world? What, what does that mean for your life and my life? Let me just say this. It means that God knows all things at all times and in all places. The fact that God knows everything there is to know about everything means that God knows every, that all things in all times, in all places. I mean, listen to how Isaiah the prophet contrasts the knowledge of false idols with the knowledge of the one true God. Isaiah chapter 41. Present the case for your idols, says the Lord. Let them show what they can do, says the king of Israel. Let them try to tell us what happened long ago so that we may consider the evidence. Or let them tell us what the future holds so that we can know what's going to happen. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead. Then we will know that you are God's. In fact, do anything, good or bad. Do something that will amaze and frighten us. But no. You are less than nothing and can do nothing at all. And those who choose you pollute themselves. Again, what the prophet Isaiah is contrasting in in Isaiah 41 is this. He's like, everybody is falling victim or being tempted to be drawn away to false idols. False idols in their making. False idols from from their neighbors that surround them. Also, it's no different for us today. We may not have images on our mantle, but we are also vulnerable to false idols. And yet what God kind of 
confronts here is going, what can your false idols actually do? Can they tell you anything that has value for your life? Can they, can you tell, can they tell you what's going to happen? Do they know the end from the, begin, from the beginning? Are they the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, as Jesus is described in Revelation? No. So they are worthless. And yet God, the God who created everything in heaven and on earth, the God who created you and I in his image, the God who spoke creation into existence, the God who is, says he is sovereign over all his creation, he possesses knowledge of the future as easily as he does the present. God knows the end from the beginning, and he knows everything before it even happens. What this means is, God knew that Adam and Eve would sin, and that his perfect creation would be corrupt, would become corrupt by their rebellion. God knew that before it would happen. God knew that he would embark on a divine rescue mission of saving souls for eternity. God knew that he would call Abraham to be the father of Israel before the foundations of the world. God knew the rise and fall of every nation of the world before it even happened. God knows how all things will end. God knows the outcome of the current war with Israel and Hamas. He already knows. A lot of people are speculating. He already knows. God, speaking of local things... God already knows who's going to be the next president of the United States of America. God already knows who's going to be on the next city council in Port Angeles. little sidebar here. Um, does that mean we sit idly by doing nothing? Does that mean that we just, we just kind of sit passively, thinking that we have no social influence in, a, in any of our decisions? Absolutely not. And let me just kind of encourage you in this way, um, because I know you already have your ballots that were mailed right to you. Could I just kind of take a moment, and again, this is not something that I'm making the main emphasis, but it is important to say, if you're not registered to vote, you should vote. And if you are registered to vote, you should vote. We have this incredible freedom in our country to vote. It's amazing. Uh, Many countries have no voice whatsoever. You still have a voice. You should take advantage of that. And by the way, please don't complain about the local social issues unless you're willing to get involved. And at the very least, vote. You know, it's like fill out the ballot and then you have kind of a platform to complain from. But complain to God or complain to Anthony over there. So Anthony would love, right? <laughs> right, Anthony? You available? Okay. He'll be available for later for that. (laughs) But in all seriousness, brothers and sisters, what should instill a deep sense of assurance and hope and peace in your life and in my life is not that we have knowledge of all things. It's not that we have an acute awareness of events and decisions that will play out in our world. No, What, what instills a deep assurance and hope and confidence and peace in our lives is knowing and trusting that everything in the world is known by God. That God is not unaware 
that God is more than aware than you can even fathom. In fact, God isn't just aware of everything that occurs in our world or, or in our lives specifically, but everything is foreknown by God, meaning that he knows things before they happen. He isn't just aware and the first one who's aware when they happen. He knows things before they happen. There are no mysteries to God, in other words. I appreciate what A.W. Tozer, he says it, I think, very succinctly in this way, in his Tozer-like fashion. He says, it is a great consolation to me that God knows instantly, effortlessly, and perfectly all matter and all matters, all law and all laws, all space and all spaces, all principles and every principle, all minds, all spirits, and all souls. God knows all causes and all relations, all effects and all desires, all mysteries and all enigmas, all things unknown and hidden. There are no mysteries to God. That's a lot of alls. God knows everything. Let's make it even more personal. God's knowledge of everything means that God knows everything about you. You know, sometimes the most lonely times in our life are when we must navigate through circumstances that very few people could understand firsthand, right? Or at least we don't know anybody, perhaps, that is going through what we are currently going through right now. And when we find ourselves in those places where we're feeling like, I'm all alone, it can feel very lonely. It can be very discouraging. For example, just to kind of let you in on a little conversation that Abby and I have in our home sometimes, not all the time. But sometimes we reminisce and we run, I still can't believe that God made our family go from three kids to six kids, and just like that. And on one hand, we are celebrating and giving thanks, and we love it. But that doesn't make it easy. And, uh, and we sometimes kind of go, our lives radically changed the moment we had those triplets. In a good way, but not always in an easy way. And in all transparency, we, we, we talk about like, man, we used to host all these parties and do all these things, and then the triplets came, and we were like literally just taken out. And we were just consumed and trying to keep our head above water. And, and it's just, it's, it's weird to say, on one hand, you're like, yes, the Lord blessed, and on the other hand, you're like, this is hard, it's hard. We don't have the same energy level anymore. We don't have as much to give anymore. We can't, it's just like we just pour out everything. And, and sometimes we're like, man, oh wait, most people can't understand. And that's not a knock on anybody. It's just the fact this is the hand that God has given us. And the question is, will we rejoice? And we do. But that doesn't mean it always comes easy. But for some of you in here, it may not be the abundance of kids. It may be the fact that you've been trying to have kids. And you have been struggling. 
And up to this time, have still to, or still to no avail, you have not been able to have kids. And holidays like Mother's Day are like the worst day out of the year for you. And you're struggling. And you're like, especially you women in the room that are just almost kind of part of my identity is to be able to give birth or at least have the option to give birth, and I can't even do that. I can't understand as a man the anguish and the struggle that is for you. And it can feel extremely lonely. It can feel very isolating. I don't understand what it what it feels like to go through the loss of a spouse. But I know some of you do. And as much as I'm so grateful for Grief Share, a ministry to people that have experienced great sense of loss, at the same time, it's still hard when you lose your best friend, someone that you've lived most of your life with, right? How do you make sense of that? And everybody else is smiling and cheering and about all kinds of things around you, but you're just, you're dying on the inside. And every anniversary and every birthday and every favorite restaurant and every song that comes on the radio, whatever it is, is just a trigger. Oh, another reminder. Things are different now. I don't understand the loss of a child like some of you do. But I'll tell you what, my number one nightmare is imagining losing a child and the regret that I feel for not being able to like, be their savior, to stand in the way, to protect, or whatever it may be. I don't understand what it means to have like, an autoimmune disease or to be born with something that forever plagues your life. I can't understand that. Again, we could go on with example after example. Some of you in here I know are struggling maritally. And you feel alone. And it's been hard for years. You know, when we come into these seasons of life, it can be both very discouraging and extremely isolating. Because the questions we oftentimes ask is, who really knows what we're feeling? Who really knows our pain? Who really understands me? Brothers and sisters, may I say to you, there is one who understands, and he is God. He knows. Maybe nobody else in your life does. They can't empathize with you in the same way. They haven't walked in your shoes. But may I say to you, based on the authority of what God says about himself through the scriptures, God knows. The Bible tells us that God literally knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know you. And this is, how David, this is why David describes God in this way in Psalm 139. Let me just read this again here. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. 
You know my thoughts even though I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I am about, what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You see, brothers and sisters, that we need to understand that God knows and understands your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows your loss. He knows everything about you. I mean, there's other scriptures that even say he he knows how many hairs that you have on your head. And we would go like, why would that even matter? Because he's God. He knows everything. And therefore, he cares about everything. Or as Job 14 tells us, again, we already alluded to Job, but Job 14 tells us that God even knows how long we will live How frail is humanity, Job says. How short is life. How full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then wither away. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. Or consider your life before you were even born, right? It's one thing to go, now that I'm alive, God knows everything about me. Consider your life even before you were born, Listen later in Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The point that the, that the psalmist here is getting at, is, help, is trying to help us understand that, is this. Nothing in your life, your personality, your, your natural abilities, your skill set, your giftedness, your experiences, your successes, your failures, none of those things are random to God. In fact, they are all from God. And as David is declaring for us in Psalm 139, everything about you is on purpose and for a purpose as ordained by God. Now, you might ask, well, if we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb, then what about those kids with a birth defect? You know, what about those with, a, with abnormalities? You know, what about all the hardship that it is causing on their own life as well as the life of the family? Did God fearfully and wonderfully make them? Did God kind of miss a step there where some are fearfully and wonderfully made and some are not? All human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we have to be okay with mystery. Sometimes in life we have to just be accept mystery. And what I mean by that is this. All people 
All human beings, all life is valuable to God. And yet why some people are born with either what we call a birth defect, we might might even question, did, did God actually ordain that? Did God mean for that to happen? Was that the work of his hands or is that just the work of a fallen world? Apparently, everybody is fearfully and wonderfully made. And yes, we understand that problems and sin and the effects of sin have all kinds of visible and devastating effects in our world. But before we conclude from our limited perspective that birth defects or, or, or birth developmental issues are always just unfortunate, can I just, I watched a little short documentary, and I'm just going to just mention it. You can Google it later. The documentary is called Unlimited, and Scottsdale Bible Church actually put it out. Um, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you watched it yet, Tom, yet or not and stuff, but uh, um, David Myers, who's spoken here, he's the president of ZimZam Global, the CEO of ZimZam Global. You, many of you know him actually very well. Uh, his, the church that he's at, where his home is at, put out this documentary called Unlimited. And what's interesting about this move, uh, documentary, Unlimited, is that it's highlighting their special needs ministry and specifically understanding the fact that even though these people are born with special needs and what we call birth defects and all these abnormalities and all this struggle, and it's like, oh, Oh man, how unfortunate that is. They're not, that's not the message that they're crying out. That's not their rally cry. They're saying, look how incredibly amazing these people are. What the culture says is unfortunate. God is using the weak things of the world to condemn the wise of the world. And God is using the weak things of the world to glorify himself. And they're saying these people are some of the happiest, most joy-filled people on the face of the planet. As one person says, these people are limited physically, but the spirit of God is not limited in them at all. What am I getting at? You are a child. You are You are created in the image of God. You have value because God has created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not an accident. God knew everything about you before you even existed. He, by design, gave you the personality that you have, the success and failures that you were able to, that you have just kind of experienced in your life, he has given you uh, the talents that you have, the, the ability, the cognitive ability to attain or retain. Some have it better than others. The fact is, you are created on purpose and for a purpose because God knows everything about you. So, brothers and sisters, because we're so tempted to look horizontally, and why am I not like this person? Oh, I wish I was like that person. Let me just say this. God did not make a mistake when he created you. And he has a plan for you. And the glorious reassurance available to all of us, no matter how, no matter what hand we have been dealt in life, is this. This is my final point. God cares about everything he knows about. 
God cares about everything he knows about. He doesn't just know about everything, but he also cares about everything. You see, you and I, we, we know a lot of things in life that probably have little to no value for our life or the people around us, but not so with God. Everything that God knows about, he also cares about. And this is why Jesus, even in Matthew 10, says this, the price of two sparrows, you know, what is it worth, like a, a penny? And yet not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You see, here's the point that Jesus is getting at in Matthew 10. If God doesn't just know about the sparrow that falls from the, from the sky to the ground, but actually cares that it happens, it tells us something unique and profound about God's all-knowing nature. It tells us that everything that tells us that everything God knows about, he also cares about, and everything that God cares about, he actively uses and works through for the, his glory and for our good. What this means to us specifically is this, God cares about and is actively working through everything you are navigating right now in your life. Both the blessings and the struggles, both the big significant uh, details of your life as well as the seemingly insignificant details of your life, God is actively working and cares about everything in your life. I love what Francis Schaeffer said in his book, No Little People. With a very big God, there are no little people and there are no little places. You know, you and I, we evaluate things all the time, right? We have limitations. We have to put a value and a priority on the people we hang out with. We have to put a priority on uh, the possessions we have, on the activities we choose to pursue. All those things require prioritization because we can't be everywhere and we can't be all things to all people like God can. But here's the deal. Here's the good news. With God, there are no little people and there are no little uh, places, God cares about and prioritizes everything he knows about. And he's actively working through and orchestrating all things for your greatest good and for the glory of his name. The question I have for you this morning is this. Does this encourage you? Not necessarily my words, but the message Does this truth encourage you and instill a deep sense of reassurance and hope and trust in your good Father? Does the fact that God knows everything about everything deepen your trust in his care for you and your current circumstances right now? Does his knowledge of your current situation frustrate you? Perhaps in some way. If God knows, then why doesn't he do something, right? As we were encouraged, reminded of last Sunday, the most effective and soul-satisfying and heart-aligning response that you and I can do in any circumstance 
that we find ourselves in is to exemplify what Habakkuk said, right? Remember Habakkuk 3. Confused about how in the world God is using the Babylonians to accomplish his will. How are you using evil, wicked people to bring about good in our lives? And after God explains himself to the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk's response is four words long in summary. Yet I will rejoice. Brothers and sisters, whatever it is that you're going through, please understand this. God knows, God cares, and He is actively working through your situation right now. Nothing goes to waste for God. Nothing is random or haphazard. God uses everything for the glory of His name and for your good. Rest in that promise, and may we as His people, as His children, Respond faithfully, not so fixed horizontally, but respond faithfully like the prophet Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice. Rejoice. 